this season on More and More Every Day. Let's do something together every day to be better oral historians. I don't know about you, but I love a daily task, whether it's a writing prompt to get me focused or a quick icebreaker to start class discussion. I love short, easy challenges. That's why this season's 10-minute or so episodes will feature experts, like-minded colleagues, resources, and things I'm learning along the way. But each episode will also end with a prompt, something you and I can do that day to improve our skills as oral historians. I'm your host, Summer Sherland. Let's do this. Welcome back. If you plan to be doing oral history for any you know, number of weeks or months, you're going to find that oral historians hold themselves to the highest level of concern, care, and accountability when it comes to researching, interviewing, and preserving the memories shared with them by the people they're interviewing. In fact, since we are technically conducting research with human subjects, some of our approaches and standards are also subject to governmental and institutional oversight. However, in 2018 and 19, revisions were made to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, their policy for protection of human research subjects, which is commonly known as the common rule. These revisions now exclude oral history, which were previously governed underneath this policy, uh, but they're now excluded from these definitions of human subject research. This is all to say that oral historians, for the most part, are no longer restricted by the Federal Institutional Review Board process as long as your work can be considered, quote, scholarly and journalistic activities that collect and use information about specific individuals themselves. But make no mistake, this does not mean you should just go on out there willy-nilly and start slinging all kinds of questions at anyone you feel like interviewing and then using the content for or recording for any purposes you see fit. No, no, oral historians, researchers, academics, all of us, we are bound by common faith in each other's work and shared ethics for our craft and our narrators. Moreover, you have a responsibility to your narrator to do right by him, her, or them. You should take this responsibility very seriously. I don't doubt that you first became interested in oral history because you like people. You were probably pretty excited to sit down and start asking questions. And maybe you're even like, why has it taken us 22 challenges and we still haven't gotten to the interview? (laughs) Well, let me ask you this. Let me give you a scenario. Let's say you're doing research on school desegregation in small Western cities and you get the chance to interview an African-American woman who was bused across town to a majority white school in Durango, Colorado in the 1970s. She confides in you that her experience was terrible. She gives you excellent examples and quotes. Some of her comments sound almost like sound bites. And you both leave having had this wonderful conversation. At no point did you ask her for her consent to be recorded, even though she saw the microphone and the iPad. You didn't confirm with her any expectations she should have about how you might use the interview now or in the future. And you never got anything in writing about her releasing these memories to you as a gift. 15 years from now, you're finishing a short documentary on the history of rural school desegregation. And you have the perfect quote from this woman you interviewed. It fits the story. It demonstrates the human impact of this major effort. And it calls on her memory that you found so beautifully told. So you reach out to your narrator. You reach out to this woman to share that your documentary will air on YouTube in the coming weeks, and you're so excited to tell her that her memories will be part of this documentary. 
But after you reach out, you know, you call her at the number you have from 15 years ago, you find out that this woman passed away two years ago. So instead, you speak with her son, who vehemently tells you that in no way, shape, or form, his mother would never have wanted those stories shared with the public. What do you do? You have no proof of what she agreed to share publicly, and now she's gone. I can tell you that when our interviews come back, without signed consent and future use paperwork, we simply cannot use them. We won't even store these interviews permanently. It's against our agreement with our narrators and with our institution. But this is less, actually less about you or me as researchers and what we can do with this content. This is really about our narrators. The oral history interview is a shared research project, just like you used to do in school. You and your narrator are equal partners in this process. You must, we must, do right by the people we interview. The Oral History Association, OHA, has built a fantastic interactive webpage called Best Practice Principles for Oral History and Best Practices for Oral History. It's linked in the show notes. They've adapted this resource upon the 2018 decision to exclude oral histories from the umbrella of research on human subjects, along with some of the contemporary demands on oral history that we face today. And I invite you to take a look at their website. While you do that, look specifically at the sections titled OHA Statement on Ethics and Best Practices. I refer to these constantly myself when starting a new collection or just reviewing my own paperwork, and I've linked to these things in the show notes. In general, here are a few things to take note of. One, ethics. I'm just going to quote directly from OHA here. Quote, ethics encompasses the principles that should govern the multiple relationships inherent in oral history. Everyone involved in oral history work, from interviewers and narrators to archivists and researchers, becomes part of a web of mutual responsibility, working to ensure that the narrator's perspective, dignity, privacy, and safety are respected. End quote. Before, during, and after the interview, it is your responsibility to minimize any harm that your questions or interview may create. Think back to your interview with the woman that you did 15 years ago and her memories and quotes that you'd like to, like to use, but she's no longer around, right? Think about the, all the people that come into contact with her interview, the documentarian, an archivist possibly, and the people who are in the future audiences. Remember that you are a web, you are members of a web of mutual responsibility. Number two, consent. Your narrator should have clear and direct communication from you about how the interview will be conducted and used. This consent must be documented. Most often, this is in writing. For us, we do a verbal consent and a written consent. The written consent is sent to our narrators in advance. They look it over, they sign it, and return it. But often, we also do a recorded verbal consent before, during, and after the interview is over. Number three, shared authority. Who owns this interview? Who's allowed to use it and publish it? Well, for one thing, you and your narrator for sure. Your narrator is a shared authority of this interview. Therefore, she or he should have the chance to approve or respond to his or her transcript and any other materials before they are made public. You should maintain a relationship with your narrator if possible to alert them to any other uses of their interview in the future. And number four, future use. You can't always control what happens in the future. What if you get a new job? What if you leave your archive? What if the archive that you donated your materials to and ultimately now holds these interviews does something not explicitly agreed to in your consent form? 
Prepare for this in advance by creating a future use clause in your consent form. Finally, it comes down to this. You should do everything in your power to ensure that you protect your narrator from future problems, pain, exploitation, or trauma that could result because of your oral history together. And you have to think ahead in order to do this well. So this is heavy. There's a lot to think about here. So your challenge today is on your own to research oral history consent forms. Do an online search or ask your special collection at your college for an example of their consent forms. Select one or two and review them for these four things. Ethics, consent, shared authority, and future use. What does this consent form do well? What is it missing? And I'm going to ask you to share your findings with us at SMCC History, hashtag more and more every day. But please remember, anytime you give critical feedback on any of these forms that you find online, it's important to continue with a tone of academic criticism. So use neutral, grounded tones and evidence-based examples. All right, everybody, I look forward to hearing from you and we'll see you tomorrow. We want to hear from you. Tell us how you did today at SMCC History. Use the hashtag more and more every day on Instagram and Twitter. Our email is historysouthmountain at gmail.com. And I hope you follow us, write a review, or suggest us to a colleague. More and More Every Day is brought to you by the South Phoenix Oral History Project at South Mountain Community College in partnership with the Southwest Oral History Association. Music by Noah Gattel. <laughs>